For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. afternoon, my conscious co-creators. Welcome to another edition of the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. I am very, very pleased that you are all here with me today. Uh, we're streaming live on Facebook, but we're using uh, Zoom today for the first time. So uh, uh, if uh, I don't get to all the comments or questions right away, uh, it's because we're trying something different today. Um, hopefully, we're going to get my guest on through Zoom as well. Um, if not, we may just get him on audio, but uh, uh, we're trying something new, so you never know the bugs. Uh, gotta, it takes, takes always a moment or two to work the bugs out. But uh, let's get started with the quotes of the day from Mike Dooley in the Universe and from Abraham. Uh, first from Mike Dooley in the Universe. Let's see what he has in store for us today. It's not as if one could be bored enough feel frustrated enough or complain enough that their life would suddenly turn around. Doesn't work that way. Whatever anyone is, they become more of. And anyone can change what they become by thinking new thoughts. Happily, the universe. Ah, we love our quotes from Mike Dooley in the universe. Uh, today, I think uh, kind of reminding us that whatever our current state is, is what kind of uh, comes out, which kind of is, is how we're being. And by focusing on that, whether we're frustrated, angry, upset, you know, whatever kind of situation that we're in, if we stay in that energy, if we stay in that uh, uh, perspective, if things don't necessarily get any better, we just focus on it, it continues, it gets worse and worse and worse until, um, until it just, uh, uh, until we find a way to snap out of it, until we find a way to just change the way uh, we're being. And that comes with changing our thoughts, changing what we're thinking about, changing uh, our perspective. And, and mostly it's the feeling. It, it's what we're feeling inside. So when we find ourselves kind of in this cycle of oh, nothing is working, uh, I, I, I can't get out of this. Uh, I, I don't understand why this is going this way. Um, that's sort of the clue. That's the uh, the moment when we need to bring a little bit more awareness, a little bit more consciousness and say that, you know what, this isn't what I want and I want to be different. And then find something else to focus on, something else to think about other than what's kind of keeping us in that state so that 
we can change our energy. We can change the way we're being. We can change uh, our state. And then as we change what we're focusing on, as we change our energy, then we're really uh, moving ourselves from, from one uh, from one state to another state. All right. Wonderful quote from the universe. And let's see what Abraham has in store for us today. Ah, I like this one. You just cannot kill everybody who doesn't agree with you. You can't do it. You'll kill enough of them. And pretty soon you'll be down to the nitty gritty. That is just you guys. And then you start disagreeing with each other. In other words, you cannot get to where you want to be by pushing against what you do not want. It never, ever works. Abraham. Mm, I like this one. Uh, because, and it's actually very much related to the first quote of the day. Um, and, and basically, it, it's saying that, you, you know, when we see somebody else and they're not really uh, uh, doing something that we feel is the right way to do or the right way to be. Um, we really need to remember that, you know, if we get that person out of our life, uh, somebody else shows up and they're not being the way we want them to be. And then we need to get that person out of our life. And then, uh, then someone else shows up. And so, the more and more and more that we try and eliminate everybody else, uh, the more we find that, uh, you know, other people show up and we just cannot eliminate the entire world out of our life to uh, really be, um, I don't know, how shall we say, uh, to really get back to the fact that we're, you know, we only have people around who are just being the way we want to be. And, and like, now we feel good and, and now we're okay. Um, and that's what it really comes down to is, you know, when we make our state, our state of happiness, our state of joy, uh, when we make it dependent upon uh, other people and how other people are being, uh, then oh, we are at their mercy in a sense. And, and, and it's so common that we think that, well, if I just uh, get rid of all those people, then I'll be fine. And, and it basically comes down to that we believe, you know, that our happiness, our joy, and, and, and what's going on in our life is dependent upon other people. And it's not. And, and as long as we make it dependent upon other people, we're always going to be a victim. We're always going to be at their mercy. We're always going to be not quite as happy as we would like to be. Because the happiness and the joy and, and, and what we want to be comes from the inside. And again, the end of this quote you cannot get to where you want to be by pushing against what you do not want. And that's the real key to this whole thing. Sometimes we think, sometimes we feel that when, we, it, it, when there's something there that displeases us, it's something there that we don't want. If we push against it, if we go against it, like th that's how we get rid of it 
in our experience, in our life. But it doesn't work that way. Because the more we push against something, the more we give it energy, and the more we give it energy, the more it persists. And so as long as it is persisting, it'll just continue. And the more we push against it, the more we're holding it in our attention, the more we're holding it actively in what's going on. And that just keeps it going and keeps it going and keeps it going. And that's not what we want. That's not what anybody wants. So what do we do? If we can't focus on this thing that that's causing us dissatisfaction, what do we do? We, we need to focus on what we do want to change our energy and to shift ourselves out of being the way we're currently being. And so it, it's, it's kind of goes back to that old cliche about not thinking about the pink elephant in the corner of the room. You know, once I say that, you can't stop thinking about the pink elephant in the corner of the room. So how do you stop thinking about the pink elephant in the corner of the room? You focus on the white giraffe on the opposite side of the room. The mind does not know how to deal with sort of the, the, abs- the, the negative side of something. Because as long as we're focused on the thing in any way, shape, or form, we're, we're holding on to it. The only way to sort of release it from our consciousness, to, to release it from our awareness, is we focus on something else. And, and it comes down to even practical day-to-day things like, I mean, I've had this experience. I don't know if you've had this experience. But let's say I go into work one day and there's something bothering me in my body. I have a bit of a headache or my back is bothering me or my foot is bothering me. And as long as I keep focusing on the headache or my back pain or my foot pain, it, it persists. It's, it's still there. But if I get into my work and if I really focus on something, like maybe I'm writing something or sending out an email or I'm, I'm, I'm watching a training or a video or something, and I really focus on it, when I'm really concentrating on that thing, I forget about that pain and suddenly it's not there anymore. But what happens is once I stop focusing so hard on something else, then I remember, oh yeah, I had that pain in my foot. Boom, it comes back. So this is the way we release the things that we don't really want in our life in a sense, or or we release the energy around something that maybe we're holding on to that we, we don't really want. We release it by focusing on something else. We give the mind, our mind, our hearts, our souls, our bodies, something else to focus on, to look at, to to really uh, connect with. And then we put so much attention on that that then we don't have any room in our consciousness or awareness for this other thing which is displeasing us. And when we do that, persistently and consistently that other thing kind of goes away and i'm abraham here is making an extreme example of you know you can't kill everybody who disagrees with you you know it's like you can't eliminate everybody in the world or everything in the world 
that causes us some angst, right? We can't just do it because if we did, then whatever is left will end up causing us some angst in some way. What do we do instead? We, we don't eliminate it from our physical reality. We eliminate it from our consciousness by focusing on the things that we love, that we enjoy, a beautiful flower, being in nature, friends and family who just lift up our hearts and our souls that make us feel so good, right? When, when we focus on those things that really enliven us and raise us up and truly uh, bring us to a better feeling place because of our relationship to them, then there is no room for those things which the relationship just you know, pulls us down and, and keeps us in this state uh, that doesn't really serve us. Now, is this to say that we should completely ignore injustices in the world, that we should completely ignore like anything in the world that that's not working and, and, and that, uh, you know, is, is really um, uh, what we feel is not going the way that it should be. No, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is instead of focusing on the problem, we focus on the solution. You know, when we feel that like, oh my God, there's like the environment is being so destroyed by people who are unconscious in this world. The more you focus on the destruction and what these unconscious people are doing, we're not doing anything about it. We're not resolving the issue. We're not uh, bringing it, uh, we're not bringing a higher state of awareness to it. But, uh, uh, but like the, I forget, a 13 or 14 year old kid who looked at this issue of too much plastic in our oceans, who came up with this technological solution to scoop up the plastic out of the oceans, right? He focused on the solution, not on the problem. And that's what I'm saying is that as these things come up that, that cause us pain or cause us to just not feel good about the way things are, the answer to everything is to focus on how can we change it? How can we make things better? How can we shift and change the consciousness around it? And this is so uh, true and is so, um, I believe, helpful, uh, especially uh, our whole topic today um, is, is all around this. So uh, uh, we're going to take a quick break and uh, hopefully we're going to get our guest on the phone if we can't get them on video. And we're going to get to our topic of the day, uh, When Plants Dream, which is a a new book. Uh, um, let me hold it up. It might look a little bit in reverse on the video, uh, but when plants dream uh, by Daniel Pinchbeck and Sophia, uh, oops, Sophia Ronklin. So we, we will have Daniel on today at least. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We do this every Thursday, 12 noon to 1 p.m. Eastern time right here on talkradio.nyc and on Facebook Live on a myriad of our uh, Facebook Lives groups and posts, um, uh, especially through uh, facebook.com slash talkradio.nyc and facebook.com slash Conscious Consultant. So everybody stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after these messages. 
And welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. Uh, I'm very pleased that you're here with me today. I see on the Facebook Live, Patty, uh, loyal listeners with us today. Thank you so much for being with us, Patty. I do appreciate, you know, how you're always uh, joining us on the Facebook Live. Um, we are trying something a little bit different. I'm trying to get our, our guest on today via the Zoom. Uh, we're just having a, a little technical challenge, but if we don't get him on video, we'll get him on audio shortly. Um, and, and just uh, for those of you who don't know Daniel Pinchbeck, and, and let me just hold up the, uh, the book one more time, uh, When Plants Dream, it's a new book that he came out with, uh, with his co-author, Sophia Ronklin. Um, and actually, and, and I'll see when I, if we get him on, if I have time to mention it to him, but I actually met Daniel a long, long time ago. Um, and, and he probably doesn't remember me from this uh, meeting because uh, I don't know if I actually went up and talked to him, but he was kind of sort of one of the organizers. And it was for uh, this organization called Evolver. And some of you may have heard of Evolver. You can find out all about it on evolver.net. Um, and basically, uh, somebody, I forget how I got to the meeting, but it was probably over 10 years ago. And I, I went to this meeting and it seemed to be more progressive, conscious, open-minded people. And it turned out that this group was co-founded by people who were very involved in Burning Man, which is this festival that happens for like nine days in the desert in Cali uh, California, Nevada uh, in the summertime. I've never been to uh, Burning Man, would love to go. I have many Pete friends that I know who have been there. And it was a meeting about uh, alternative currency. Now, keep in mind, this was before blockchain. This was before Bitcoin. This was before any of those uh, kinds of cryptocurrencies or, or, or alternative stuff. This was just talking about um, you know, other types of currencies besides our typical U.S. dollar, the euro, the pound. And it, it was just an, an interesting meeting, and it talked about um, sort of the challenges around our current currency system and uh, uh, how uh, sort of fragile they are because it's not really backed by anything. And so Daniel, I, I, I forget who it was, was the actual speaker, uh, but Daniel was one of the organizers. And, and uh, you know, I was... Uh, it was it was just kind of interesting, you know. He he was obviously a very intelligent, very thoughtful person, and uh, from that meeting, I began to learn about Burning Man and learn about sort of what it all stood for. And at the time, I mean, I didn't know a lot, but I loved the idea of sort of this uh, uh, gifting currency. And for those of you who don't know at the Burning Man Festival, you kind of, there's not supposed to have currency. In other words, you're not supposed to bring cash or, or money and, and not supposed to trade it like you don't buy things. Everything is what they call, they created this, this festival uh, where everything is based on the gift currency. And what does that mean? That means you bring stuff with you that could be useful or that people would like and you just give it to whoever you want to or, or whoever might need it. So somebody might um, bring, uh, 
a whole bunch of bottles of water or someone else might be making smoothies and someone else might bring jewelry that they made and somebody else uh, might have a bunch of, um, of, of those aluminum blankets that runners keep warm because it's in the desert and it gets cool at night. And, and everybody just brings something. And as you just meet different people, you just give it to them and they give you their stuff. And one of the things that so impressed me and one of the reasons why I'm, I so want to experience it, even though I've heard things are kind of different than they were before, I so want to experience it because the magic that I hear happens at, at Burning Man is in that you get exactly what you need when you need it without any forethought, without any plan, it just falls in your lap. And, and what you need in the moment might not be anything more than meeting a stranger, sharing a story around something which relates directly to something you're going through at the time and is what you need to process and, and to get past what challenges you might be experiencing in the moment. And that's kind of the magic. Now, it could be the thing you need in the moment actually happens to be a bottle of water, uh, a, 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 a t-shirt. I don't, I mean, I don't know, you know, it could be all kinds of things. Uh, uh, but I've, I've just heard over and over and over again, so many anecdotes, so many stories from people who, have just experienced real magic from this. And I just find it so fascinating that somehow it all works. In this festival, it's probably the most popular festival of its kind out there. I mean, tens of thousands of people show up to it year after year after year. I don't even know how many years. I think it's been going on close to 20 years, maybe a little bit over. And, and it started off with just a bunch of friends from California saying, hey, let's go do this in the desert. And it just spread by word of mouth. And now people come from literally all over the world to go to it. And not only do people come to Burning Man from all over the world, there are different kinds of Burning Man's type festivals throughout the world. Like last year, I found out there's one that happens in Israel. I, I don't think it happened. It didn't happen last year, but it happens or it had been happening up until then, called Midburn, sort of like the Middle East Burning Man. And I'm sure, and that's the one I just happened to hear, but I'm sure there are other ones that are modeled after Burning Man that happen in other countries around the world, in other places around the world. So uh, uh, it's really turned into this new phenomena. And it really, to me, shows the magic that can happen when we allow the space for magic. So when you go to this festival, there's a lot of trust that's involved that, you know, you're not going to buy anything. No one's going to sell you anything. You may not have everything you need for however many days you're going to be there, but you'll have most of the stuff and the things you don't have will just show up for you. And the fact that it actually happens when there's tens of thousands of people there, to me, really shows how magical life can be when we give it space, when we allow it. 
sometimes it just feels like when we plan everything out in our life, when we're so kind of stuck in, in that, in, in this sort of fear-based concept that, you know, we, we have to provide for ourselves and, 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 and life doesn't take care of us. So we need to take care of ourselves. We miss the magic of life. Life doesn't have an opportunity to really show that it does take care of us. But when we give this space, like at, at this festival, uh, to, uh, to allow life to show us its magic, that when we have this trust and, and life shows up, that then we can experience the magic of life. And in some ways, it's, it's kind of a shame that in society today, we've gotten so fearful of, of and we're so stuck sometimes in this, in this paradigm of lack and fear that we're afraid, like, if I don't do something, I'm not going to have enough food to eat. And if I don't do some, and yes, absolutely, there are places in the world where that is true. And it is true because the places where there's an overabundance of resources are so in fear of not having enough that they don't share what they have with the rest of the world. But the truth is, and I've heard the statistic over and over again, that every day there is enough food and water produced to feed the world two or three times over the entire world. And the challenge and the difficulty is sort of distribution and sharing and the fact that there's this imbalance and there's some places in the world where there is not enough and, and places where there is more than enough, it, it just doesn't get there. And I just wonder what would happen in this world if we all, and again, I know this is idealistic, but it all starts with us. And when we start living and acting like there is more than enough, there is an abundance in this world of food and water and clothing and shelter, and that we can share what we have and we don't need to be so concerned about tomorrow because life will take care of us. Again, I'm not saying we should be irresponsible. I'm not saying, you know, we should quit our jobs and, and not pay our bills or whatever. We, we have to sort of live within the societal context that we are. Uh, but I just wonder what would happen if we all just left a little bit more room. I'm not saying 100%, but just left a little bit more room in our lives for the magic to happen, for life to show us that it will and can take care of us. So, um, kind of uh, going a, a little bit off topic, we're still trying to get Daniel on the line here. Um, but let me take take a break, and when we come back, we'll just we'll start talking about sort of the main topic um, that I wanted to talk to today, which is the heart of this book, When Plants Dream. What is it really all about? We'll get to that uh, a little. Um, brew known as grandmother that comes from the Amazon and sort of what the effect it's having on the world today. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We do this live every Thursday, 12 noon Eastern to 1 p.m. And we will be right back after these messages. 
And welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity. Don't have Daniel on the video. We're, we're trying to get him on the phone. Uh, we'll get there in a minute. Um, so let me get started with our main topic of today, When Plants Dream. So what is this book about? So this book is about Daniel and, and Sophia's uh, experience with um, a what's known as a plant medicine known as ayahuasca or grandmother. And it is a real... I, I would call it even a movement or a real, uh, uh, hmm. yeah, a real movement or a real uh, uh, healing modality uh, that comes from the Amazon. A lot of people know about it from Peru. It comes from the shamanistic traditions. And the thing that's fascinating to me about ayahuasca, it's, it's a combination of two different things. It's the leaves of one plant and the bark of another plant. And it's quite interesting because if you take these two elements separately, you do not get the same effect of doing it together. And the reason why is uh, in, I believe it's in the bark, there is what's known as this chemical known as DMT. However, our liver naturally breaks down DMT. Supposedly, our body, uh, um, according to researchers, produces DMT naturally uh, two main times in our lifetime, when we're born and when we die. It, our brain releases a ton of DMT into the system. Uh, however, like during normal day-to-day -day activity, uh, we don't uh, have the ability, uh, our liver breaks down the DMT, so we don't really experience. So uh, in the leaves, there is what's known as an MAO inhibitor, uh, which is the chemical that breaks down the, uh, which is chemical that breaks down the DMT. Um, so you need to inhibit the, you need to inhibit the liver from breaking down the DMT and, and then uh, you can actually have the experience. And I believe we have Daniel on the phone. Daniel, are you there? I'm right here. All right, great. Apologize for the technical problems. So uh, Daniel is the best-selling author of Breaking Open the Head and 2012, The Return of Quetzalcoatl. He's the co-founder of the web magazine Reality Sandwich and the online platform Evolver.net that I talked about earlier. His essays and articles have appeared in a vast range of publications, including the New York Times, Esquire, Rolling Stone, and Art Forum. And he's been a columnist for Dazed and Confused. Thank you, Daniel, for being on the show today. You didn't mention my most recent book, uh, When Plants Dream, uh, which uh, is about ayahuasca, actually, which I think we just talked about. I've been mentioning it all program long <laughs> before oh, we got, got you on it. here. <laughs> I'm holding it up on the video for people. But yes, this is what we're here to talk about today. So um, I, uh, we've lost a bunch of time uh, from technical things. So let's get right into it. What is it that got you interested in this path of plant medicine work? Uh, yeah, I mean, actually, for me, it was actually like an existential crisis, like a spiritual emergency, mm -hmm. where um, I was working in New York as a magazine editor and journalist, and I started writing about ecological topic matters and stuff, and um, I just got more and more discouraged by the prevailing culture of like nihilism and cynicism, Then yeah. I remembered my psychedelic experiences from college, and I, as a journalist, I realized that I could go and do some more exploration of the subject. So I got an assignment from a 
uh, Vibe magazine, a hip-hop magazine, to oh. go down to West Africa, to Gabon, and go through an Iboga initiation. And then for Men's Journal, I did Ayahuasca in Ecuador. And uh, yeah, that kind of launched me on, on my whole journey. Wow. So it was actually a research project. Now, that was about how long ago? This was a while ago, right? That was that was like the late 1990s. Right. So this was long before because it, it, many more people have heard about it now. But back then, it was still relatively unknown here in the West. Yes, exactly. Well, in fact, in the New York media world that I was part of, you know, psychedelics were not something to take seriously. Everybody would just ridicule you. And like, uh, you know, it was really a long time. I mean, you know, when my book came out, there would have been nothing really about psychedelics in the mainstream, you know, since the early 70s, you know. Right, right. And now that's all changed with all of the research being done into psilocybin, MDMA. Um, there's a lot of, of, of work done. But more importantly, when it comes to when plants dream, there is this humongous uh, underground kind of in, in the West that people aren't just going down to the Amazon, whether it's Peru or Ecuador or Brazil. Uh, people are actually finding it locally here in New York City and in, 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 in places across the country. People are finding um, these medicine circles where they can experience it for themselves right here. Yeah, that's true. That's been the case for a long time. There are like, um, uh, you know, people who, uh, the first time I did it actually was in a, um, maybe 1998 or something in a ceremony downtown two shamans who are like white whites from california mm. um but yeah now there's definitely a huge subculture there are people who've gone down to train in medicine work and then there are you know practitioners from all these different traditions who come here and there's a couple of uh, religions that originated in brazil which are quite popular right. uh Daime and you know de vegetalis mm -hmm. and those ones have also been important because they've uh, won uh, kind of landmark legal cases protecting use of ayahuasca as a uh, sacramental medicine. Right, right, right. And I do want to talk a little bit about the, the, the dangers and kind of being careful of who you work with when you do this medicine work. But before we get there, for people, uh, just for like any listeners who might be a little skeptical or might be kind of a little uh, put off by this idea of doing medicine work, why do you feel this has relevance today and how does it help people today with 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 today's challenges uh well yeah i mean first of all you know it's it's everybody's personal decision and you know somebody should really just only do it if they really feel compelled or called to do it you know there's no other, no other reason to do it um but um you know and obviously it's not for you know it's not really legally sanctioned uh, at this point but um you know, it has a number of different, I mean, as I said, for, for me, there was a spiritual component, like psychedelics can definitely, in particular ayahuasca, can kind of give you a deeper sense of connectedness to nature and to the cosmos. Uh, you can feel like um, you're undergoing like really powerful healing processes. You can feel that there's like other forms of consciousness connected to the planet, connected to nature, connected to the spirit world that you can communicate with. I mean, there's many, many reasons Healing is one reason uh, people, you know, have, you know, exploring it, healing it from, you know, cancers, autoimmune disorders in Peru. Um, so there's you know, a whole bunch of different reasons to do it. Right, right. Um, so yeah. so it, it's really like a way for people individually to connect directly to 
our divine nature or to whatever, you know, we view as our spiritual side or God or the universe or whatever exactly. term we want to use. And yeah, and, and um, it's also, um, I mean, yeah, and actually sometimes having that mystical um, experience is a way for people to heal from things like depression and so on, uh, like, or anxiety, like they've done these studies, Johns Hopkins was doing studies with mushrooms for people who had, who had terminal cases of cancer and feeling anxiety about the end of life process. And when they did the mushrooms, they often felt alleviated of their anxiety and they felt more connected to source and, and, and that more like uh, there was a continuum of life and consciousness. Um, so yeah, they can have really profoundly positive uh, impacts. Another area of, of positive impact there's a new documentary out called From Shock to Awe, oh, yes. which looks at um, you know, ayahuasca as a, as a treatment tool for post-traumatic stress disorder in veterans from the Iraq war and mm. tracks the number of veterans as they go through a journey of, of healing uh, use, using ayahuasca. As, uh, by the end of it, they've thrown away all of the other drugs they had in their cabinet and all the uh, more addictive psychopharmacological substances, you know. Right, right. Exactly, exactly. So it has not just um, uh, aspects of spiritual healing and sort of the existential stuff, but it actually has real benefit on the, the physical, uh, mental, emotional healing as well. For, yeah, for most people, uh, it, it, you know, particularly the first time you take it, it's very um, profoundly, uh, you know, you're influenced by... Um, yeah, like, like the experience in a very positive way, generally. Right, right, right. Now, um, this is a very, very old tradition. And one of the things that I find so fascinating about it is when researchers asked the shamans in Amazon, how did you know to combine these two different aspects, the leaves and the bark? They said the plants told us. And that... That's true. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's famously uh, the, the um, you know, the anecdote. I mean, uh, we don't really, yeah, we don't really know because obviously, if you're talking about rainforest uh, tribes, uh, you know, there's no written record, there's no even, you know, architectural record. So all we have is kind of oral traditions that go back. So we can't really say uh, how long ayahuasca has been going on. I mean, some people believe it's only a few hundred years that it's mm. been used in its present form with these two plants put together. Uh, other people think it's five thousand years or, or longer. So we really don't know. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, I want to take a quick break. And then when we come back, I want to talk about kind of some of the dangers in getting involved with these circles. Or not, let's not say dangers, but things to be cautious or aware of. And then, um, you know, how to properly sort of enter into this uh, realm. And then what are the implications for the future? Okay, Daniel? Okay, great. Okay, wonderful. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, and we'll be right back after these messages. And welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We're talking today with Daniel Pinchbeck, author, co-author of the book, uh, When Plants Dream. Um, so Daniel, we've been talking about, you know, plant medicine circles, specifically involving ayahuasca, um, and, and its potential for healing uh, heart, mind, body, and soul. 
but I've also heard of a number of people who, in my estimation, aren't necessarily doing it in a sacred or healing manner. So people do need to be a little bit careful about who they choose to work with when they decide to work with these plants. Would you say? Uh, yeah, I mean, once again, this, this is you know, this is an area where it's not like seeing a doctor or there's like an official you know degree or whatever. So um, you know, there's a lot of um, you know ambiguity. Um, you know, and there's a big range between, you know, indigenous lineage holders who, you know, have been practicing, you know, their families are practicing generations and people who just went down, you know, for a month and, you know, felt like they're ready to do, you know, uh, so, you know, it's, it's really the discernment has to be in the person who's looking for the experience. Right. And, you know, some people are more particular, some people you know, we'll only feel comfortable doing it, you know, with somebody who really has a long lineage and training, um, you know, and then other people do it in, in, you know, different ways. So, yeah, I mean, um, and, and, you know, and then also, you know, there's definitely been some issues with, you know, manipulative uh, shamans, you know, demanding money or, you know, making unwanted sexual advances and so on. So like any, any field that's got its complications. Right, right, right. So it's something that I feel sometimes people are a little bit too easy about, oh, my friend told me about this circle, I'm going to go to it, Um, that it really is because you're in a very open and sort of uh, vulnerable state when you're in ceremony, you really do want to, um, you know, check the person out, you know, if you can, maybe meet them before the ceremony, talk to some people who've been in the ceremony, find out, like, you know, do your research, like anything else do your research and make sure that this is something that just feels right for you uh, because it's not uncommon for people to sort of give away their power and say, Oh, well th- this person, they're a shaman. They must really know better, but they have no clue who this person is or, or, or why they're doing it. And, and so we do uh, have some responsibility to ourselves to make sure that this is something that's appropriate for us. Yep. Totally. Absolutely. Um, So uh, with, you know, the sort of growing popularity and the fact that there are these medicine circles, you know, happening uh, around the country and around the world now, what do you feel are like the implications for the future? Where do you see things going from today? Yeah, I mean, it definitely looks as though um, we're moving towards increasing mainstream acceptance of the value of the psychedelic experience. And now we're seeing kind of this decriminalization movement uh, mm-hmm. around like naturally occurring uh, visionary plant substances um, in places like uh, Denver and uh, Oakland and Santa Cruz. I think that movement will probably grow. Uh, we're also seeing you know businesses beginning to move into the field, um, companies developing treatments for different mental illnesses using uh, different psychedelic molecules and trying to patent particular uh, applications and so on. Um, you know, we're seeing uh, this group called MAPS, Multidisciplinary yes. Association for Psychedelic Studies, is um, seeking to get MDMA approved as a treatment tool for post-traumatic stress disorder. And they're uh, in the FDA approval process. They've been mm-hmm. having really wonderful results. Yeah. So, you know, I think we're reaching a tipping point where the value of these um, uh, tools, you know, it's going to be recognized uh, for people, and, and that'll lead to changes in the legislative framework. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a wonderful conference that happens here in New York City. I'm sure you've been to it, Horizons, which has been going yeah. on for like 12 years. And, and I've been going the last couple of years just to hear about the latest research and where things are going. And uh, yeah, MAPS has had tremendous success with MDMA. And then some of the other, in other countries, uh, I've seen uh, presentations on people using ayahuasca to uh, help with, uh, uh, I don't want to say cure, but helping people with cancer and, like you said, depression and, and other things um, that really, uh, there's really a lot of growing evidence, a body of evidence that's not just anecdotal anymore, that's actually well-researched showing like, yes, there, there is tremendous value in, in using these plants. Where do, you, where do you see things kind of going, uh, I want to call it on a more societal level, because, and I've had a, a number of different people on my show who've had experience with it. I had one uh, a, a person who, who was an ad executive that after going down and having his ayahuasca experience in the Amazon, he came back, totally changed his company around, now is all about like ecological stuff, you know, feeling so much more connected to nature and doing things uh, uh, that's more sustainable. Uh, this seems to be a growing trend. Where do you feel like things are starting to move? Like what is the ultimate effect of all of this on society itself? Yeah, by the way, I should mention that I'm uh, involved in uh, helping to curate a new conference called PAWA, P-A-W-A. Oh, wonderful. It has a website called P-A-W-A.life. Ah, okay. And it's going to be in, in late March. And it's going to explore some of these uh, areas and, and interests. Um, yeah, I mean, um, this has been a big subject throughout my work, kind of thinking about kind of um, the intersection of, you know, how our civilization is developing and what's happening environmentally and, um, you know, the capacity of these uh, substances like ayahuasca to kind of awaken people and kind of like maybe deprogram them of their mm -hmm. old beliefs and make them more aware of the connection they have to nature and mm, that, that could lead them to you know, make positive changes in, in how they do their business and what they focus on, what they believe is right. So that is happening. It's an ongoing process. It's a very good one. Is it happening fast enough? Uh, it doesn't really seem like it, considering all the negative stuff that's happening. Right. But, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe um, you know, I mean, I'm sure as you're aware of, you know, the Amazon is incredibly threatened right now. Yes, yes. Um, you know, what's happening in Brazil, what's been happening in, um, you know, other countries with, like, loss of fire, forests and, you know, forests being clear-cut to, to create soybean plantations to feed cattle and so on. Um, you know, ho hopefully all this interest in ayahuasca and, and Amazonian indigenous traditions will uh, lead to, you know, the, the elite of the you know, modern Western world uh, really, really working harder to, uh, help, you know, kind of preserve the forest and the communities that, that, you know, steward it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. One of uh, uh, my teachers uh, based out in California, he says that you know, what we're experiencing is not um, mental illness, but they're maladies of the soul. You know, they're kind of more like the similar to how you had an existential sort of spiritual crisis that brought you to it, that that society as a whole, in a way, is experiencing an ex existential crisis with our sort of disconnection from nature and disconnection from uh, uh, really the the... 
understanding how we are a part of nature and that by doing things like clear cutting the Amazon, we're hurting ourselves. You know, there seems to be like this immediate, you know, return. So, okay, there's more soybean farms or whatever, but the long-term effect of it is, is awful. And that we're, we're doing things that maybe have a, um, a short-term solution, but are horrible on the long-term. And that as we learn that we're, we are a part of nature as much as anything else, that hopefully that cultivates this desire to, to change, you know, what's happening. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, you know, the subtext of your book is ayahuasca, Amazonian shamanism, and the global psychedelic renaissance. What is it that you hope people will get from your book when plants stream, if they, when they pick it up and read it? Well, I mean, first of all, I think ayahuasca is inherently a super fascinating subject. And I think our book is, you know, the most comprehensive, you know, and still quite pithy. Uh, and covering all the different facets of it, you know, from its history to its origin to the myths surrounding it, to how the modern world discovered it in the 19th to 20th century, mm-hmm. you know, how it's being used now and, you know, the legal aspects of it and the, um, you know, medical, you know, therapeutic aspects of it and the spiritual aspects, its relationship to different religious and spiritual traditions. So, yeah, I hope that people will just get a much deeper understanding of uh, the plant medicine, its uh, uses, its, its potential value, uh, what, it can, what it can do, and they'll just be, you know, much more educated about the whole, the whole thing, including, including, you know, we, don't, we, we also look at the downsides, you know, of, uh, you know, the, from the, including like how the shamans are manipulating it to how, uh, you know, the plants are being, you know, har- over-harvested and cut right, down and so right. on. So it, it, it gives people a full, hopefully a full understanding uh, of ayahuasca, whether, whether or not they choose to do it themselves. Right, right. I mean, we're really just touching on sort of the surface on a lot of these topics. So the book really goes into much more detail about it. And it's available, I know, of all places on Amazon.com and, and in other booksellers, correct? Exactly. And, and just really briefly before we close, because I, I mentioned your, your co-author, Sophia uh, Ronklin, who, who you wrote it with. I'm curious, why did uh, you and Sophia, wh- or why did you pick Sophia, or did Sophia pick you to to co-author this book together? Yeah, well, actually, she, uh, Sophia's a friend of mine. who She started out working with me as a research assistant, uh-huh. uh, but she'd actually written the thesis on her ayahuasca experiences in Ecuador uh, for the new school, and I thought she was like a really talented writer and, and you know, kind of... Um, researcher and it as, as it went on in the process it just made more sense for us to, to do it together and um yeah we're both really pleased with uh, how it worked out and she's actually now working with a uh, retreat center a very very popular one in peru called temple of the way of light uh-huh. uh, and they have a program that she is i think facilitating or co-directing where they i can't remember the name of it unfortunately but they're they're training um they're helping local indigenous communities to sustainably grow and harvest ayahuasca for the for the for the for the growing global market oh wonderful 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 um so daniel if, if people want to learn more about you or get in touch with you do you have a, a website or do you have uh, some way that you would like to let people yeah, know I, I totally do i have a pinch, pinchback.io is my website uh my previous book before this one was more about uh ecology and system design thinking mm-hmm. it's called how soon is now uh, there's a website how soon is now.info 
Um, you know, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook under my name. And, um, uh, yeah, those are some of the main ways to, to look out for me. Wonderful. Wonderful. And Pinchbeck is spelled P-I-N-C-H-B-E-C-K. Exactly. Daniel, thank you. I, I apologize for the technical problems, but I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Uh, maybe sometime when you're in New York City, we'll, we'll get you in studio and we'll do a full hour together. Sounds wonderful. Wonderful. Oh, uh, any new projects? You got anything new coming out in the works in the near future? Uh, well, I'm working on this conference right now, the Power.life oh, one. Wonderful. Uh, and I'm kind of, uh, you know, working on some different writing projects. Um, one with a uh, collaborator in London who uh, studies artificial intelligence um, called Wei Sang, and uh, an essay kind of looking at the occult tradition of the 20th century. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. All right, wonderful. Thank, thank you so much, Daniel. I appreciate it. And thank you, my loyal listeners, for tuning in today and, and being patient uh, with our technical problems. Uh, we'll work them out and get them resolved so it's not an issue in the future. So thank you all for tuning in. Coming up next, it's uh, Ken Foster and his show, Voices of Courage, uh, right here on talkradio.nyc. And we will talk to you next week. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.